everyone, and thanks for tuning in to the Left of Greg podcast. I am Brian Marin, the host and creator of the show. As always, I will be joined by human behavior expert, Mr. Greg Williams, who the show is affectionately named after. Here on the Left of Greg show, our goal is to increase your advanced critical thinking skills through a better understanding of what we call human behavior, pattern recognition, and analysis. If you'd like to find out more about what that is, you can check out our website at arcadiacognorati.com or by following us on Facebook at HBPRA or on Twitter at A underscore Cognorati. You can also check out the videos of the podcast on the Left of Greg YouTube channel where we also post some short clips on some of the concepts that we talk about during the show. The links to everywhere I just mentioned are in the episode detail, so go ahead and check them out while you're listening along. If you have any questions or would like us to cover a specific topic, please reach out to us at leftofgreg at gmail.com. On today's episode, we are joined by Detective and School Resource Officer Michelle Palladini. Besides being a full-time law enforcement officer, Michelle is also the founder of the LEAP program, which offers a solution-focused method for connecting the police with schools and parents as a pathway to children's success. Michelle has used her diverse skill set to become a leading voice in a unique combination of mindfulness for law enforcement, school-based policing, community building, and children's social and emotional health. Thanks again for tuning in. Hope you enjoy the show. All right, Michelle, thanks for uh, coming on here and, and joining us today. And like we said, uh, thanks for, for being on time and prepared. That is, that is awesome. So we're just going to go ahead and kind of jump right in here. So tell us a, a little bit about yourself right now, and then we'll kind of get to some of your work about, you know, what you're doing, but, but what is it that you do right now and, and, and where you're at? Sure. Thanks. Thanks for having me. So currently, uh, I have a split role with the Norfolk Police Department. Uh, that's Norfolk, Massachusetts, not Virginia. We have a lot of people uh, that call us thinking we're Virginia and we're not. And I don't know if Norfolk, Virginia is definitely a different community than Norfolk, Massachusetts. That's for sure. Um, so I, uh, in my role at here at Norfolk, I split my time. So I'm 20 hours in detectives and 20 hours in school resource. So kind of an interesting uh, position because I get to spend a lot of time with the youth. So doing a lot of um, preventative type work. And then on the flip side, you know, I'm investigating, you know, cases. Um, Our particular community, we do, um, our detective division kind of does everything. Uh, We're a smaller community. So we cover anything that needs follow-up or investigation we're doing. And so really that was sort of the impetus for me really wanting to do more with youth uh, because I was sort of seeing the cause and effect of issues that kids were having and then growing up to be the adults that we then police. So, yeah, no, that's a, that's a good point too. Um, as you, you know, from your experience is that, that this, the younger you start with folks, you know, over the course of a lifetime, you know, that's going to pay off dividends, right? It's always investing as early on as you possibly can. Um, in the community, in the kids in there, because that, that lessens the chance down the road that they're likely to get in some trouble or, or go down a wrong path. So what, so what is it about, like, I know, so that's what you're doing, I know, uh, with the PD and what you do full time, but you do a whole bunch of other training. You've got this LEAP program, you've got all this other really, really cool stuff. I read some of your blogs. I love the Christmas one about the different Christmas movies. Uh, (laughs) classic nineties Christmas movies that as my wife always reminds me, is like, if you look at all of them, cause I I grew up in Chicago and they're all like based out of Chicago. She's like, Hey, every, why is every Christmas movie in Chicago? It's like, it's the greatest city in in the face of the earth. That's why (laughs) (laughs) we'll we'll disabuse you of that, Brian. Give us a few minutes. So, so tell us, tell us about your, your programs that, that you, you do, uh, with your consulting work. 
Yeah. So um, I obviously have a lot of time on my hands, right? Because I have my hands in a lot of different things. But you know what? I think when we find our passion in life, we go for it, right? And these are the things that, you know, I I love my job, you know, as an officer um, and everything I do here in this role. But I also believe in, you know, still enriching and challenging yourself, you know, outside of that as well. And um, so my LEAP program was sort of what I just talked about was really born from the idea that we have you know, so many broken adults, right, that we are, you know, kind of coming in contact with as officers. And when we really kind of break down why that is, it's these are adults that have never learned the skills that they should have learned as children, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I look at, and this isn't just, you know, people were arresting, this this goes for officers, this goes for your neighbor, you know, we're, we're all kind of navigating um, adult life and challenges and emotions in ways that maybe we weren't necessarily taught. And so today education is is different. It's still changing and evolving that we're really trying to teach kids ways to manage their thoughts, feelings, and emotions so that they don't turn to risky behaviors, they don't turn to addiction and sort of building that strong foundation for them. So um, back in, it was probably about 2012 and I had an idea that I wanted to teach some of this to kids. Um, for me, mindfulness is a huge part of my life and we can probably touch on that later, but I really wanted to give the kids a program that was based in mindfulness to really help them manage their stressors, to really help kind of build that emotional intelligence. Mm-hmm. And so um, I was looking around for programs that sort of encompassed this vision and there wasn't really a lot out there that could be taught by law enforcement. So uh, again, because I had so much time on my hands, I just decided I'll put a program together. What's what's the big deal, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah, I was a little bit ambitious, but mm-hmm. um, a little, yeah, a little, or a lot. I don't know. Um, I think at the time I had a two-year-old at home too, so that was fun. But uh, you know, again, it, it comes back to sort of having that passion, having that drive, and really seeing um, kind of how these things can pay off. So it's like exactly. if we really want to reduce crime in our communities like this is a starting point and some people can say you know well that's the softer side of policing that's the touchy-feely stuff you know I don't want to go into schools I don't want to teach um and sure it's not for everybody and and I certainly advocate that you know guys and gals who are not interested in that type of work shouldn't be doing it right um but for me it was an interest I've always obviously really enjoyed kids so um I had given the idea to the um, principal, the assistant superintendent in my local middle school. She loved the idea, which is when she actually brought me on as a resource officer. Um, but I also was able to sort of pilot the program in the health classroom. So I'd gotten um, my teaching certification to teach health um, in the state of Massachusetts. And so that also kind of diversified my skill set and really sort of entrenched me into the world of education, which I quickly learned I knew nothing about. So. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's been a it's been a cool journey, and I've really um, kind of taken that program off the ground, and now um, offer it to officers and other communities well, as well, so they can bring it. St- well, sticking then with with kind of what you started with the kids, I know you you started with that, then realized, well, hey, this is this isn't just about kids. This is this is all of us. You you mentioned already, and, and we're in in total agreement when it comes to hey, this isn't just something for. Uh, when you're at, on the job, right? This is something for with your family, with your neighbor. Absolutely. This is everything. This is human because we always say 
because what we do is we call it human behavior pattern recognition and analysis, right? And and our number one thing is we've done it all over the world is that humans are the same. So if we stick and, and we that, deal with broken humans, yeah, so your taglines your, your, your and your words are fitting right into our wheelhouse. Yeah, exactly. I mean exactly how we describe it as broken humans. As Greg and I always talk about, we're you know we're 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 fragile little snowflakes. We're both. Well, let me give you just an example of that. Horribly broken. Michelle, let me give you an example of the broken human syndrome that we're seeing right now. First of all, thanks for being on the show. And second of all, if you notice the austere environment from which Brian is is broadcasting, I hate behind him, you're the only the second guest that's been on since he's had furniture and his little burrow. So Brian, if you can move your head to the right right or left. Okay. Oh, now there's a hat. So so I've known Brian for so many years. And he's never found a way. He mimics human behavior. He doesn't actually own any emotions. So what's happening now is you can see that he's evolving. And yeah. he's coming out of his show a little bit. You know? So th- this, is, this is progress. And I think it's funny as well that you mentioned something that uh, most of our uh, uh, listeners and certainly our viewers uh, uh, that know about law enforcement know, but not a lot of the, the people that we get that are mainstream American know this. Uh, most law enforcement agencies in the United States are the small agencies, exactly uh, uh, what you're uh, dealing with and what many other people deal with. So I'm coming from the Detroit metropolitan area, and uh, Charlie and I, my wife, also a law enforcement officer, best human behavior profiler I've ever met. We're going to move to Colorado, and we're going to retire and buy a ranch, you know. So one, retirement, bad word, you never retire because there's always <laughs> more to pay for and to give. And the second thing is uh, uh, to be a law enforcement officer in Colorado you have to go back through the post board and all the standards and testing and training and stuff. So, so finally, you know, making the, the move out there and uh, being on a police agency because the ranch wasn't immediately available now in Colorado waiting, you know, the weeks then months and it turned into a year in, in, in three months, I, I guess. Uh, so we're on this agency. I remember on the first call and uh, sadly it was a suicide at one of the scenic overlooks and we went up and I was explaining to the, the younger officers, Hey, listen, this is how we know that it's a suicide and it's not a homicide. And this is what we need to preserve the evidence and all that other stuff. And the, the youngest officer on the scene who was uh, no, no rookie, I was the rookie there, uh, turns to me and goes, okay, well, you need to start taking photos and bagging evidence and doing everything else. <laughs> I'm, I'm like, what, what are you talking about? And he goes, well, what are you talking about? And I go, we got evidence technicians and a detective will be here. And you call down to that. And no, it all fell in my lap. I caught the case and it was mine. Uh, so when, when people are listening and seeing the amazing work that you did, uh, Leap in 2013 is just a game changer. A lot of the stuff that you did is so intuitive. Yeah, nobody had walked in those boots before. But then also you're managing that with being on the road, uh, being a road dog, and then being in, in the DB, and then having this life uh, uh, out, outside of police work. That's amazing. And so you're in good company here because everybody here is that alpha mentality as well. Where, where we have nine jobs. And, and while we're doing this podcast, we have our laundry in and Brian's cooking uh, uh, lunch. So it's amazing. How do, you, how do you make sure that you spread load all of the stuff that you do and do it equally as well? Mm-hmm. That's where the mindfulness came in for me. And I think that uh, earlier in my career, I, I didn't quite have the balance that I have now. I, I got on very young too. I was 22 when I started, mm-hmm. yeah. um, which I think is incredibly young. Uh, it is. To be an officer, I have a whole <laughs> point of view on that as an aside. But uh, being young, sort of getting swallowed by the culture of you know working the night shift, going out with the guys till you know two in the morning, drinking a lot, not taking care of myself, eating out every shift. It was pizza and subs, and 
uh, it really started to impact me. And it wasn't until I was probably 25, 26 that I realized, wow, I am extremely unhealthy. And I had always been that kind of type A personality, you know, graduated top of my class in college, you know, very um, driven kind of person. And I noticed all of my goals and all of my aspirations for my job were kind of taking a backseat to this kind of unhealthy partying, you know, camaraderie type of lifestyle, which, you know, the camaraderie is a huge part of our profession, right? Right. But in the same sense, you've got to have that balance. And so mindfulness, um, which is sort of a buzzword now, right? It is. Kind of like the new like superfood or something, Um, (laughs) you know, but really when we break it down, it's just sort of paying attention to the present moment and it's not stressing so far into the future and it's not dwelling on things from the past. And I think that's useful for us when we talk about sort of the the trauma that we experience on um, in these various jobs, being a first responder, you know, how do you kind of sit with discomfort? How do you sit with stress? How do you manage it in a way that it doesn't kind of take you and, and run away with your life? Um, so you're able to sort of manage it in the moment through breath work, through meditation and things like that. Well, and, that, and that's kind of what I wanted to get to a little bit on it, because like you said, then you address it like that mindful, these things become buzzwords. It's like resilience. Everyone's got their mindful. People have their own way of, of articulating it and saying, hey, this is what I think that is. But from your, just what I'm getting, what, what I got from your story and reading you is like, you just came up with this program. It was like a lot of us do is like, all right, well, there's something going on here. I got to figure it out. I'm not doing well. So you're showing some sort of self-awareness to go, this isn't working. What is out there? Let me find what works. So, so this is kind of like, I guess, two part, how did you come to, or what is it that you specifically like to address? And was there something that you saw like, or something that happened? Cause you, cause one of the terms I wanted to ask you about was you have, you know, this trauma informed, um, you know, skill set you're teaching, right? Or almost like we would say like evidence-based, you know, trauma-informed. I like right, words both like Both of that us because, felt the same way. Yeah. We were sucked in by that term because we were like, okay, it's her story. She felt this. And yeah. from those deep emotions, that's where this came from. So what was that for you? Was there a certain thing that, that you hit? I mean, I know you talked about you felt unhealthy, but, and you talked about this trauma-informed. What, what, do you, what exactly do you mean by that? Where did that come from? Yeah. Um, so, uh, as I was saying, when I was 25, I had really, I guess if, if you want to call it hitting bottom, right. That's kind of what, where I hit, um, in not only in my career, but in my personal life, I think I had a lot of things unresolved from my childhood. And I know many, many people can relate. I think the statistic yeah. now is like one in four Americans have experienced some sort of traumatic event in their life. Um, and for me, it was, you know, being bullied and assaulted in middle school. Right. And so never really dealing with that and sort of driving myself into this like perfectionist personality where I had to control everything and then realizing that I couldn't control everything. And so the alcohol was sort of that coping mechanism for me until I woke up one morning when I was 24 and realized I was basically a full blown alcoholic and needed help, needed treatment. And that's really where I found a lot of these tools to sort of manage past trauma, not just things from my childhood, but even the stuff I was seeing on the job. Um, You know, I had a really uh, difficult incident. We were uh, involved in a shooting and um, I had talked to a little eight-year-old boy. Uh, It was a domestic situation. And this little eight-year-old boy, you know, looked me dead in the eyes and said, you're not going to hurt my dad, right? Um, And one of our snipers on our SWAT team ended up you know, shooting his father and killing him. And, you know, that sort of thing stayed with me 
uh, not profoundly that I like couldn't get out of bed, but it was sort of always there. And then the other thing, you know, the bad car accidents and it's like everything sort of tallied up. And that's sort of what we call like a toxic level of trauma where, you know, it's that toxic stress that we're experiencing. And I had no positive ways of releasing that. And so a trauma informed approach is that you're understanding how trauma impacts the mind, how trauma impacts the body, how trauma impacts behavior. And what I realized quickly was that everybody that I was dealing with as an officer, um, whether it's someone we were arresting, whether it was someone addicted to drugs, um, somebody involved in domestic violence, they all have a trauma past. And so it doesn't excuse the behavior, right? But it helps us bring a little bit more curiosity to the situation. And you know what? I think as law enforcement now, we are starting to find ways, different ways of handling this. We know we can't arrest our way out of the problem, right? Right. Most agencies have started crisis intervention teams where we sit around the table with clinicians and we troubleshoot issues that we're having with residents because arresting them isn't working. Um, Mm -hmm. But can we get them the mental health support that they need? And then I think that sort of um, bridges that us versus them mentality because we all experience it. So for me, having that direct personal experience with dealing with my own trauma, learning ways to manage it um, really has kind of helped me police with more authenticity. I call Brian and and, uh, Brian's in San Diego, by the way, and I'm up in the Colorado Rockies uh, uh, just for uh, context. I call Brian and I said, hey, we got to get Paladini on on a podcast. And uh, uh, immediately we started yellow pad and why, okay, what do you bring to the table? Why are we doing this? Cause we don't make any money doing this. All the, the stuff that we're trying to do to, to raise the awareness of our communities and our law enforcement officers to, to get outreach, to give them the ability to help themselves and help others. And uh, we're big on suicide prevention and resilience. And so we're, we're, we're sketching this out. And I tell Marin, I said, listen, uh, goat yoga and this mindfulness and all this other stuff, 40 years ago, and, and you've got to understand this, 40 years ago when I started as a copper, okay, if somebody called you a copper that wasn't a copper, or if somebody called you a pig or any of those other things, they were making a visit to the emergency room before they were going to jail, okay? Uh, uh, if you were in community policing, that means you retired on duty and you didn't want to work the road anymore because you were afraid. Um, there was a stigma in everything. And if you weren't booting doors and ramming cars and you weren't dropping brass in, in, on these calls, then there was a stigma that was associated with it. And now if you take a look at that and you see the pendulum swinging historically and sociologically and physiologically and psychologically, every single one of my friends from back then is dead. They're either dead from self-inflicted, they're dealt dead from accidentally self-inflicted with drinking drugs and, and a risky behavior, you know, and, and we look at this body of police work that's been done over these four decades and we go, we put a lot of bad guys in prison. And you know what? A lot of those bad guys are still alive. They still have families. They're out of prison and all my friends are dead. So not unlike what we saw, Brian, uh, in combat zones, Iraq and Afghanistan, the same risky behavior and the same outcomes when, in fact, those countries are getting back on their feet and people are shopping again. You you see what I'm saying? Yeah. The pay was too high, Brian. And there's a lot of parallels here. So, so Michelle, I don't have any law enforcement background other than I've, I've been arrested several times. He's from Chicago. He's been (laughs) in the back seat. I've been in the back seat plenty of times. He knows his way around a pair of handcuffs. But I've I've worked with law enforcement all over the U S and the world for a long time and did spend a lot of time military and doing all kinds of different, different stuff. But, but the, 
the parallels are, are similar in a number of ways. And then what, what you'd see happen is um, when things got really bad, people would try to, oh, hey, we got to do something about this issue, right? And that's when it would come in with all, especially with the military, just the worst stuff because it was like this lovey-dovey and they would hire these actors to play out these scenarios and no one's buying it because you can't treat people. that You can't take a type Using A person. Using your word, it wasn't authentic. Yeah, exactly, and it, Brian. Because you're going yeah. like, this is BS. Like, no, right. don't, one, don't put the kid gloves on. Teach me because that's my whole thing was like, look, man, like, and I, I learned this, I tell this story all the time on here, but uh, when I was, uh, did some work on Camp Pendleton with the Marine Corps after I got out, but I was working there as an instructor and uh, there's all these big brain behavioral scientist folks and they were doing their human performance studies. It's all this cool stuff. So I learned from them. They learned from me. It was just like a really, really, I, I got to learn a lot, but like I would talk to them about stuff and I go, but no, I'm doing really well. Like, like the other night I was out and then this guy said something, and man, I was furious and I wanted to cave his face in, but you know what? I took a few deep breaths and I went home for the night and I was good. They're like, okay, Brian, like, that's not you're not okay <laughs> like you have <laughs> anger issues that you need to deal with and I was like no but but I did I didn't do it though they're like okay they're like understood the story you just told me you, you realize like you don't have to get that angry that he didn't do anything and I was like oh I never looked at it that way I just thought this was something I was supposed to deal with so that's that's a that's just kind of like why we you know when you put stuff in like uh, mindfulness and, and Greg always likes to bring up the goat yoga that they do out in Southern California, but he can't. For the record, I don't do goat yoga. Well, he kept, no, no, no. He, he kept but you understand no that there's, 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 goat, there, so. there's these, these book throwing and, and party wielding and walk across a hot cult. And you know, the fact of the matter is that, that most of the people, and, and this is why we wanted you on the show. Most of the people uh, uh, talk the talk, but they don't walk their talk. Yeah. And you're one of the people that I found that walks their talk. Right. I'm very impressed with that. And you know, uh, uh, 2020 will be uh, August 15th, uh, 2020 will be my 43rd year of, of being outside uh, the wire and doing stuff. And uh, I, I talked a lot of crap and said Combat Hunter would save a lot of lives back in the day. And uh, General Conway took me up on it and sent me to Iraq. Uh, later, Mattis said, hey, do you think that'll work everywhere in the world? And I said, of course it will. He sent me to Afghanistan. So you're the, one of the people that have made the transition from talk is cheap and coming up with the good idea, Ferry. But what you've actually done is you've come up with a no-crap program that's got borders and boundaries and, yeah. and lessons that we can follow. And you've gone out and done it. And you're still going out and doing it. And that's what separates us, I think. And that's what drew my attention so much to you, and certainly Brian as well, is we're practitioners. And we're out there doing it every day and we're laden with PTSD. So if we can do this, anybody can yeah. do this. And that's an important concept, I think. So what do you talk about? Because uh, you, you get into, you know, the brain science behind resilience, right? And, and you teach that. So everyone's got their own little take, which, which I'm okay with, right? Because there's some people that say, well, that's not really resilience or it has to be defined this way. And what Greg and I always like to tell, because we've done some suicide prevention courses uh, with U.S. Army, actually, and, and some sexual harassment assault prevention courses. Like, this is how you identify these behaviors in someone. But the idea was we always make the, the, the memory-emotion link that, hey, it's like chumbawamba. You know, I get knocked down, but I get up again. You ain't never going to keep me down. And that's an oversimplification, but, but it makes sense because I get that. So how is it that you define resilience? What is it that your, your, your approach or take on it? Because you're doing it with cops, first responders, you know, people who are out on the streets. This isn't like already have know, scar tissue, yeah. right? So how, I already how have you, scar tissue. I already have deep memory and emotion links. Exactly. What's your, what's your approach to it? 
my approach is very slow, right, to integrate it because I think here's the thing: we are trying to, if we try and force feed this to people in these various professions, right? It's going to be challenging because you've already got that stigma that like inner work is weakness, right? Mm -hmm. And so the first hurdle I think we have to get over to really establish resilience as something that's credible is getting over that hurdle of like, no, this is strength. It takes strength to get back after falling down and to have that type of honesty, not just with somebody else, but really with yourself, right? So being able to say to myself, this isn't working. What I'm doing is not working. And if like we want to look at how our goals are going to be, we're going to project them to the future. Well, it's like it's sort of that you can't get there from here, right? Because if we're not okay and we can't get to point B because we're so in our head, it's a challenge. So resilience to me is really kind of understanding how our brains respond to challenge. And that's a huge part of it. And I think Mm -hmm. that's how we get people on board is if we really root this in science. So the best lessons I feel like that I teach are teaching people how to understand how their brain works, because by and large, most of us, um, and and I never knew, I only learned by learning, right? I only learned by reading the books and taking the classes and trying to understand it because that was part of a game changer for me when I could actually sit back and say, wow, like, look how I'm reacting to this situation Mm -hmm. and then using tools to respond instead of react. And that's part of resilience too. It's like, how do we get to that point in our brain that we are responding from our prefrontal cortex, right? Instead of reacting from our amygdala. So it's like when that smoke, I call it a smoke alarm, right? Because the amygdala and the brain serves as a smoke alarm. It's giving us that warning. That's when we go into fight, flight, or freeze. Um, or another F word, if you prefer to use that one, right? Which many people do, right? right? So we're in that zone where we're like, all right, what am I going to do now? And so having that level of self-awareness, again, another buzzword, right? But it's having that emotional intelligence to say, wow, you know what? I'm really reacting to this, or I'm really struggling with this. All right, what can I pull from my toolbox to be able to make um, a more responsive kind of um, decision or action in this moment. And maybe it is taking a few deep breaths. Um, and another thing that I learned and things that I promote in, in my classes is really teaching people how to access the power of your breath and the power of taking space um, so that you can make that informed decision. So that's sort of how I define resilience. Um, and it really came from doing this work with, with the kids and teaching uh, this program to other officers, realizing that the officers I was training needed this as much as the kids did. And right. So that's sort of where, as much as I still do a lot of work with youth and I still teach LEAP, um, I really segued a lot. And that's probably a lot of what you're seeing on my website and a lot of my social media is sort of promoting these tools for social emotional health and tools for resilience and tools for mindfulness uh, that are applicable to, to anybody um, in, across the lifespan. No, that, that's, a, that's incredible. Cause what, and that's what the essence is of what we actually teach is, is we're teaching human performance, but it's cognitive performance. So getting down into the basic understanding of, of basic neuroscience, this is how your brain works. This is called your prefrontal cortex. This is your amygdala. This is when you get this reaction, this, you're going to have cortisol is going to hit your system and that that's meant for survival. But, but if you keep doing that over and over and over and over and over again, you're, you're going to have serious health, uh, health issues. And this is how you can re 
rewire those. You can change the different responses through training, right? And through understanding. And, and I think we, we hit, uh, this is why we clicked with it so much is because some of what you do, it, it's once you, I bet you've had this experience because we get it all the time where guys are like, what the hell? Why didn't, why didn't someone teach me this? Where was know, this where when was I was this? in high school? <laughs> how how did I miss this class? I've been making these choices based on what I think is right. It's just my brain having this um, survival reaction to everything that's going on. And, and that that's not warranted in this situation. But the more times I do that, the more times I'm going to continue to do that. I have to relearn that behavior. And that's our, our big thing is how, how training changes behavior. And if you haven't been trained, if you haven't sat through something like that and learned that process, then you're going to continue down that same path. And that's, that's pretty yeah. difficult. I mean, uh, Greg, I know you have something to add. You know, one of the things, Brian, I think you hit a nail on the head there. One of the things we, we travel a lot to teach. So we're going all over the place and all over the world. And the first thing was the first hurdle is that uh, the, the powers that be that are never out the door, the admin people that never see their own folks and never go out and check their own backyard are saying, well, will this work in any language? And it's like, yeah, obviously it'll work in any language because it's human behavior. Then they were saying, well, you're using these really big terms. You're talking about uh, people's electrochemical neurotransmitters and the axons and the dendrites. These guys didn't go to high school and they dropped out and a lot of them don't have the intellect level. There's never been a class that, yeah. we, teach, that we taught it, that somebody walked up and goes, I have no idea what you're talking about. We're talking about functional field of view. We're talking about uh, you know, norepinephrine. We're talking about the, the synapses firing and how they can be really good and you can train them, or they can be really bad and you're going to be a depressed, you know, anchor all, all the time. And guess what? Not one person ever came up and said they didn't get it. And then the administrators started shutting up. So the, the thing is that when you, as a matter of fact, when we did uh, the ASAT program for the United States Army, it's advanced situational awareness training, uh, the soldiers grasped that and they called it all science all the time. They called mm -hmm. it ranger school for the brain. Those are the type of compliments that you can't yeah. walk away with. And that's what we saw in your work as well. You know, I, I'll be the first to tell you, on the shoulders of giants, you know, everybody else that was a, a big, heavy thinker that worked outside the wire had these same ideas. And we were lucky enough to codify them into something that people could use all the time. So we applaud you for uh, being at what, what you talk about is probably the lowest point in your life and actually having the temerity to stand up and look around and go, hey, this blows and I can't see myself doing this for another 30 years. That's a, that's a, uh, that's a hard moment. It, it, it's, it's one of those, uh, Brian, we call them trigger moments just from, you know, historical perspective, but it, it's so cathartic to actually be able to step up and go, I'm having trouble. And one of the first thing you learn in the teams is the first person that comes up and says something, something's wrong is you. I come up and I go, this is what I broke. This is what I did wrong. These are, that self-reporting is a huge part. And when we're dealing with people in uh, dealing with resilience or suicide prevention, it's so hard with cops and dispatchers and first responders and law and specifically soldiers and especially tier one soldiers to get them to discuss how they're actually feeling. So well, they, Greg, they, they, might, not, they might not right? know what that. <laughs> no, no, no. Like, That's the first part of it. The no, first like, part is you don't know you're a broken human, right? Yeah. But, so, but the second part of that too is that you're dealing with a, a, a team of alphas that are all looking at you and going, if you show any weakness, I am going to attach to your jugular because I want your job. I want to be lead dog in that sled. And, and so it's hard to, to look and say, hey, I'm, I'm fractured. I have problems. 
And some, some of that's changing, I think with leadership and how, how that sure. is, because there's some people that, that have stepped forward and, and, and are that, and that's what it takes. I don't, I, I always tell the story a lot on here, but the, he's still active duties and special operations and he made it mandatory for everyone on his team that once a quarter, you're going to sit down with, with, and do this, uh, talk to the psych, it's just mandatory. I don't care if you go in there and you sit there and stare at the wall for 15 minutes, everyone's got to go in there minimum 15 minutes. I'm going to start it off. He goes, so I go in there he goes, Two and a half hours later, I come walking out. <laughs> I'm like, oh, how'd that right. go? He's like, I just went home and apologized to my wife for about 20 minutes. <laughs> but, but that's the whole point is like, oh, wow. Like that's, that's because, because they're getting be- on, the, on the mental health side. I think they're getting a little bit better at understanding their, their audience and who they're talking to and what yeah, they're yeah, Numbers still haven't changed, Brian. No, I, no, no, no. But well, that's I the agree problem that is they're that learning is that we're, we, it's getting more, we're, we, but how do we learn anything? We learn them the hard way, right? It's our, our SOPs and TTPs are written in blood. And so why are, exactly you know, right. what, last year, more police officers uh, committed suicide than were killed in the line of duty. So we're, we're yep. okay. Now all of a sudden people are going, oh, there's a problem. We should probably deal with it. And I know one of the things we talk about and, and you talk about, and I wanted to get your take is because you, you have in some of your stuff that there's a, a level of what, like an empathy training, right? And that's kind of what we call some of our, I mean, we don't describe it as, Hey, you know, module B is empathy training, but, but that's what we're teaching you basically. Right. In the, what, what ends up happening is you learn to understand another human's emotions, which I'm slowly learning, uh, as, as I continue to teach this, but what, what is your, what is your take on, uh, it'll take, it'll take more than the burrow to demonstrate to me that you've learned something, Brian. Uh, so, so how do you, how do you train like empathy? What is your take and what, what, what seems to work with your target audience? Mm-hmm. Yeah, the empathy is really, it's really a honed skill. Um, because I, I say that when we're children, we naturally kind of have that empathy for other people, we can sort of see that, you know what, somebody, you know, we're looking at their facial expression, or we're looking at how they're behaving, and kids are really quick to pick up on that. But then we grow older, then we become, you know, early adults, later life in our adulthood, and we're starting to be more self-focused. And that is the probably the largest issue out there is that everybody's dealing with their own crap constantly. And so it's not so much that I don't care about your issues. It's that I don't even see your issues. Right, because you I'm go. so in my own head about everything. And so when we start to do the inner work, right? So when we start to manage the way that we're feeling, when we start to manage all of the crap that's in our heads, and we can sort of like mediate that the stress response and all the things that are happening, that empathy naturally rises. And that's what a lot of the studies are showing with Mm -hmm. mindfulness is that when we sort of take that, I mean, we're looking at brain scans, and we're seeing that the area of the brain that is showing um, that really is responsible for empathy and compassion is lighting up in the brain with people who meditate on a regular basis. Right. And that's, you know, so the science is there. It's still early. You know, this field is like 20 years old right now, which from a research perspective, is not a lot of time at all. You're right. Just being born. And and we're just kind of taking advantage of some of the technology we have today to figure Mm -hmm. this out. I do work with other folks where they're, you know, you've got like an Apple watch or a little thing you can buy that tracks your heart rate and metabolic and all these different all this different data can collect them and then you can type in what you eat and what you did that day and how much it sleeps. So now we're just starting to realize like, okay, let's find out what these data points are that are having significant contributions to some of these issues and, and let's, let's work in there. So I think that's a, uh, again, like you, like you talked about, that's, that's kind of just, just coming around now in, in terms of how we do it. 
But, uh, you know, one of the things that, uh, you know, you, you just got into is we look at it, there's a number of ways to take this, right? So empathy being like, okay, I'm going to be better at, you know, community service and interacting with people and picking up on which my, my partner or teammate that's having issues in my life. But, but we also approach it like, like this is also a, a self-preservation. Uh, Greg gave an example the other day of, you know, you're walking out of the dry cleaners and someone bumps into you and you go, Hey man, back off. And then that guy stabs you in the neck and everyone goes, well, that stuff happens all the time. And, and it's not the fault of the person that said, Hey, back off. You, when you interact with someone, you have no idea what's going on in their life. And we say their glass might be full. They have so much going on that their glass is full. And if you give them a push, it's going to spill. And it's going to spill on who's ever in that area. And that's why you see it. It wouldn't have happened 45 minutes before. And it wouldn't have happened the Sunday yep. before. But at that exact moment, those two stars aligned. And here you are. And so, so when we talk about the mental health resilience cognitive performance is we look at it, especially for police officers too, like, look, you, this is about survival on the streets. This is about not getting into that, that knockdown drag out fight where the guy's going for your gun. You got to be able to read that person, understand and have that empathy to go, you know what? Not this guy. I better calm down this situation. And yeah. How do I deescalate this? What manner of psychological deescalation is necessary for this client or for this friend or for this family member? You're right yeah. on, Brian. And, and it's just knowing that, and, and that's what it comes down to. And that's what I, I like about, um, you know, you know, there's a lot of people that do different stuff. There's a lot of programs. I don't want to knock anyone's, but what you're seeing was that more practical approach of like, look, this isn't just a, this isn't just a, hey, I'm going to sleep better at night and I'm not going to have PTSD. This is, I'm going to perform better at everything. I'm going to have a better relationship with my family. I'm going to have a better relationship with my coworkers. I'm going to be happier. You know what I mean? Like That's, that's amazing. And, and, and if you take a look at that, so uh, uh, you, you go back uh, to the late 70s and uh, uh, Oakland Police Academy, and I was putting together some ideas uh, for the Wayne Oakland and Macomb Police Academy because what we saw is that every officer before the FTO programs, every officer wanted to go out with a Neanderthal. Why? Because when you were with a Neanderthal, you knew you were going to be safe. Somebody you could shoot, they could beat, they could fight, they could run, they could ram. And then you were looking at the incidents and people were calling them crap magnets. I don't want to use the real term and saying, man, they're always getting into everything. But then when you started breaking down and looking at it scientifically, what you found is many of those situations were unavoidable. One. The second thing is the less trained individuals were getting into greater incidents of violence and resorting to a higher level of violence. So scientifically, that's exactly what Michelle was just bringing up. And a lot yeah. of your work reveals that too, is that when you look at things scientifically, you can say that, listen, if I laser focus on me and I can look in the mirror and I'm not going out there with all this baggage, my, my cup already being full, then I'm probably going to be better when I traffic stop you or contact you or, or have to talk to you about your missing kid. And until the scales fall from your eyes and you see that, yeah. you're always going to be a broken human. Because if I'm already dragging my suitcases into this scene, how, how much work can I do for you? So I love that when you say empathy, that's what Greg sees. And that's what Brian sees. And I think that's yeah. one of the reasons we reached out for you. So what, what are some of the kind of, I get a couple questions I wanted to hit with you here, but you know, what, what are the, some of the issues you see in terms of like getting stuff like this implemented, right? So you're like, Hey, I, I got this program. I've seen it have success here with kids first. Let's open it up to other police officers. Okay. This is starting to work. I'm getting positive results. 
what are some of the barriers that you see? I mean, what, I mean, cause it can be anything from leadership, from other people's mindset, to other, you know, what, what are some of the, the issues you have trying to grow this or getting out there or getting more attention for it or getting more people involved? Yeah, I think we're still in a um, mindset in public service that if it's not the way we've always done it, we're not going to mm. do it. <laughs> yeah. So, and I'm, I'm just going to address that elephant in the room because, yeah. you know, it, it's going to take, and we're, normally, we're getting Normally there. I'm the elephant in the room. Yeah, Greg, we could, yeah. We just, you could just okay, stand and address Greg. Greg. Exactly. Yeah. I, for a minute I had to think, was that an insult or did she <laughs> move up? No. no. Not no, an spot insult. On. Spot on. <laughs> but I think we're starting to see leadership change. And I think this comes back to what we talked about in the beginning. We're talking about generational differences yes. too. And the fact that, you know, now we, we can call this stuff touchy feely and say, you know, wow, parents are, you know, treating their kids like these delicate little flowers now and things like that. But we're starting to learn the science behind how kids actually learn. And if we look at like the root word of discipline, it's to teach, right? Yeah, Discipline's not to yeah. punish, it's to teach. So we're changing the way we're raising children and the way that I'm raising my daughter is far different than the way I was raised. You know, my dad, um, retired detective lieutenant with the Mass State Police. And, you know, when I was a kid, it was like, my dad's the greatest person in the world, but you're going to cry. I'm going to give you something to cry about. Right. <laughs> and it's like, yep. right? so it's like, don't feel emotional. You're home here. Yeah. You know, so yep. I think from a leadership perspective in law enforcement, we still have, you know, a lot of older chiefs and older administrators from that sort of way of thinking yeah. that, it's still about thumping people. It's still about being that hard, like authority and control. And it's teaching people that you can be authority and control and still have empathy. And you can still teach that. And this isn't the softer side of policing. This is what policing has become in the 21st century. And we don't have to look any further than officers saying, oh, geez, you know, all we do now, we're social workers, we're this, we're that. And it's like, You've always been social workers. Yeah, they just didn't know it. You never saw it. Exactly. <laughs> right. You were the cop on the beat. You were that. Do you know what you're talking about is, is, is again, eye opening. And anybody listening is going to love this episode. So, so I remember being on an elevator heading out of the, the training room to go on the, on the road. And what you had is your gun, which you had to train with all the time because you were always drawing it and using it. And you had a stick. And the harder the stick and the longer the stick was, the better, because you wanted to reach them even when they were running away and hit them. And, and look at the Kel light and the streamlight flashlight, aircraft, aluminum, gigantic thing. So uh, uh, Brian and I were talking about my buddy John Peters the other day. So Peters comes up and he says, hey, uh, you know, Mace is out uh, because Mace never worked in the Detroit metro area. But have you heard of ole resin capsicum? I'm like, no, educate me. And it's like, well, this chemical aerosol spray and everything. So we tried it. We did trials. We did tests. We did everything. We, we were the first agency that had camera cars and all this stuff long before anybody else was uh, 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 going to do it. So we're doing the spray and we're doing the test and we're going, you know what? This is better than laying hands on people. And there are benefits and we can de-escalate with this. So I'm getting on the elevator to go back out on the road. And the watch commander is also a deputy chief. And he looks straight ahead. He won't make eye contact with me. And just before he gets off, he says the word, and, and apologize to the audience, he says, fucking bug spray, and walked <laughs> off. And we never got chemical aerosol spray the entire time that that boss was there. Why? Yeah. Because he was setting his ways, and yeah. this is the way that it's going to be. And you know what? We talk about all the time giving the gift of time and distance. And what we've found over generations is that if you step back from an issue and take a look and everything's not in progress and you got to rush into it, you know, we're not talking about moving slower. We're talking that your brain appreciates those extra nanoseconds to decide uh, 
course of action and that that course of action doesn't always have to be uh, life or death, black or white, good or evil. And that once you find that out, you're going to be a better person on the street, a better, you're going to socialize better. The people are going to love you on the street better. You'll become their well, personal policeman, you know? Yeah. And, and so just like, I, I mean, just a, that that's an, you know, kind of an institutional change that slowly happens over time with that stuff. And I remember I was working with this, this organization, I was, you know, kind of working with their people and going like, all right, we were trying to um, make some changes to a training program they had and talk about some of the issues. And so my thing was, Hey, why is it, why are we doing it this way? And I told everyone, I said, look, the worst answer, you know, you could ever give anyone is that's the way we've always done it because that means even if that's your answer and that's why you've done it, that means you don't know why that policy is being, whatever that issue is, it means you don't know why, because and, and you, you can watch the other person deflate when and, you do that. And, and yeah. if you can't explain why you you do something, you're like, well, that's just how we've always done it. It's like, well, well, why? And so then after a while I had them all convinced and they were like, yeah, you know what? That makes sense. You know, I actually don't know why we did that. Hey, maybe we should change this. And then, we, then their boss comes in and he goes, look, we're doing it this way because that's the way we've always done it. I went like, uh, whoops. Cause they there all turned, and, they all turned and looked at me and I was like, don't say anything. Don't say anything. We'll <laughs> deal with this later. But, but you know, so that you see that everywhere. And I always, but that's always a big thing. And that goes with, um, I mean, even, private organizations, anyone, you know, it's that, oh, that's how we've always done things. It's like, look, man, that you, if you're not evolving, then you're devolving. It's one or two. It's exactly. one, you're not just going to maintain homeostasis. It's either you're constantly adapting a new existing environment or, or you're, or you're not, or you're failing. And, and you're not going to change a human or human behavior. You're not going to change it with an app and you're not going to change it with a check in the yeah. box training. So you, 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 you have to go out and humans have to interact with humans. No one knows a broken human better than a broken human. And so when we start seeing those stress fractures, we can actually do something about it. We can actually move into that space and make a difference. So, so one other thing I want to just ask you, Michelle, is then what is it that, like, what do you do personally? Like, what is it that Michelle does, you know, to deal with all the stuff that you're, you, you have going on and your mindset? And what was that for you that like, hey, these are the three things that I do every day, or this is the one thing I remember. And I have this written on my mall, you know, whatever it is, what is it that you do? Mm -hmm. um, I would say the first thing is getting up early during the day. And it sounds mm -hmm. like such a simple thing, but I start my day um, a couple hours earlier than I used to. So most of the time I'm up between four and five, and that yep. gives me an opportunity to set the tone for my day. And I always start my day with some type of meditation or relaxation exercise or breathing technique, whatever you want to call it, right? Whatever you're doing is, is focusing your attention. Focusing that attention really starts to build um, those sort of connections in your brain that improve all of the things that we've talked about, right? Over the last 45 minutes. And so I look at it as um, I often call like some of my presentations mental push-ups because yeah. it's it's the brain isn't a muscle, it's an organ, right? But our brain can act like a muscle and that we can strengthen it. And that's what the functional MRIs are showing, that mm -hmm. we can grow that capacity in our brain to grow empathy and compassion and self-awareness. And I can notice a difference the times that I wake up and I, you know, maybe I worked a double shift the day before or an overnight and I don't do my morning routine. It impacts me throughout the day. I have, you know, a shorter fuse. Um, yep. my, I have mental fog. So I would say waking up early is one. The second one being some type of meditative technique on a daily basis, whether it's for 10 minutes or 30 minutes. And I often tell people, you don't need to sit and meditate in any particular way. 
You don't need to spend 30 to 60 minutes on a cushion in some kind of like warped yoga pose. You don't have to do that. And I think a lot of people in the mindfulness space are really saying, well, my way is the way, right? And so it's sort of defining for yourself what type of practice suits you, what feels comfortable to you. So I would say those are probably the biggest things that I do on a daily basis. Um, The other one, which actually, Greg, you had mentioned, is really sort of connecting with people, right? So human connection is really what heals. And I think so many of us, particularly in these fields, are told, you know, keep it private. You know, don't tell people what you're going through. And I'm not saying we have to walk into roll call and be like, I have problems, everybody. Yeah. But surrounding yourself with people, enriching your life with good friendships, that's been a game changer for me. And a lot of my friends, you know, obviously mostly women, but outside of the job, right? And they're people that I can trust. They're people that have become family. And I always tell people that takes time to develop. But as you improve, the quality of your relationships improve. And to think we can do anything in this life alone is is just impossible. Um, You need that human connection. That's what heals. Absolutely. Michelle, one of the the things, I'll just show you how far we've come here. Uh, Back in the day, if you looked at another copper and said, I'll see it off duty roll call, what you meant is we were going to go out and get drunk and shoot out some streetlights. And the idea (laughs) that being able to be in a group of alphas and say, let's do something constructive. Uh, Let's do something just for us. And it's like me wearing the immense 5X suit coat and you know, dressing up for these podcasts. This is not me. If you knew me, this is far from me. But when I put on the suit coat, I'm in this space now. I'm talking on the podcast and nobody else can bother me. And when I get up, the same thing at Rogue Manor West here, it's 4 a.m. is when when we get up and and I head straight downstairs to the gym. I invest more money on the the gym than I do anything else in the house. Why? Because that's my time. That's my time to listen to my music and read my book and prepare for the day so I can be the best me that I've got to be to, to get everybody else across the finish line, you know? So that, that means something to me. Marin, you're the same way. Yeah. Uh, Brian and I, we don't text message. We don't contact each other when we're at the gym because we know it's too valuable. It's, yeah. it's our time to be able to except, connect with except us. Except that you don't understand time zones. And so Greg is, I, I don't. And I also like to send, <laughs> I also like to send photos of me working out yeah. to Marin to motivate him. What I didn't understand is, horribly it's a horrible horrible scary photo and it's I'm sweating and gnarled yeah. and stuff so. yeah it's a terrible so. way to wake up in the morning yeah no, good no he, good for he, you he, he lives I mean, in he lives I mean, in a box under a freeway overpass I do. so I do. anything anything that to brightens his day i think i'm doing the right thing i really know that and those are those are good takeaways michelle because a, a lot of them are are something simple as is that easy right? we don't we don't Low and, calorie and yep. I, I i tell people that too the same thing like people used to say to me like oh you're so motivated you're up like before five to go to the gym i'm like i have zero motivation i don't want mm. to go do this i have to right. like i have yes. to go get up go do my because it's the same thing like if i get up and i don't work out in the morning i'm just yep. like, and no like i don't want to be around people are like what's wrong with you i was like i have to go I have to go take my frustration and anger out of the weights, but, but it's, but it's that same thing. Like even if it's you're so true. Dead, dead tired, you know, you just, it, it, there's, there's certain things you do. Uh, I know the breathing exercises, a lot of guys, um, from personal experience, have a, like a horrible time. I've tried all kinds of different meditation ones, but I actually started, I, I've done the, uh, the Wim Hof breathing stuff. If you've ever seen him, the Iceman, 
that's cool because you're actually too, you can train yourself to hold your breath for like three or four minutes, which is just, I don't know why you'd need that skill, but I've got it. So, but, but, uh, but little stuff like that is it goes, even just going through the process of doing it, even if you're not 100 vested, fully bought into it, even going to the gym and walking on the treadmill is better than doing nothing. So in anything, Marin tells me yesterday, Michelle, you'll, you'll appreciate that. So I, I've got some stress and, and, and so my <laughs> punching bag uh, uh, is Marin. Do you know what I'm saying? So whenever I'm stressed and, and I, I look at Shelly and Shelly goes, nah, you know, call Marin because she's not going to deal with it. And so I tell Marin about the stress and Marin looks straight faced at me on our zoom call. And he says, uh, the thing you need to do is stop and get a lacrosse ball. And uh, once you get the lacrosse ball, I want you to find a wall and then put the lacrosse ball. And he goes on like this five minute soliloquy about this lacrosse ball. I'm in flipping Gunnison, Colorado. <laughs> the closest store is an hour and a half away. I don't know if he's a Native American and he thinks of like the lacrosse with the thing. I've never seen lacrosse. I'm from Detroit. Who does yeah. lacrosse? Where in God's name would I, I get a lacrosse ball? I've never the played great lacrosse. Thing, I, I just know. <laughs> the great thing was it was so therapeutic for me to listen to you describe that behavior. So sometimes reaching out for a friend when you're feeling like crap or sometimes just knowing that somebody's going to answer. And that's why we tell people the lowest calorie intervention it's always the best. There's always somebody at the police department that'll answer the phone. There's always somebody at the VA that'll answer your call. I mean, somebody somewhere wants to listen to what's going on with you. And sometimes we don't think there's that outreach. And especially in urban environments or in the inner city, we think, well, I don't have a lot of money that's not available to me. If you've got a cell phone, if you've got a public phone, if you can yeah. find one, if you've got a, a phone that you walk into the front desk and tell the copper on duty, say, I need your phone to call somebody there are people that are going to help you out because I'd rather come to your house a thousand times and talk you down than to come one time and cut you down. And, and I think if we have that mentality and that's why we do these shows is, is not only are they therapeutic for us, but people need to hear you. And I know you're popular, but more people need to hear you and hear that they can do something about their own life. And, and it, it, your mindfulness approach is nothing more than situational yeah. awareness. Yeah. So, so I, I saw right and, away that this is this is exactly the same thing you're preaching to the choir. Yeah, because nor normally, <laughs> normally I love just being like, "Oh, this person has no idea what they're talking about." This is all. Or, or we, we, we get two things. We, we said get either, either they're so full of shit and they don't know it yet, or the opposite, they have no idea who we are. And yeah. so, you know, you're 45 uh, minutes into the conversation, you're going, "They have no idea who we yeah. are." It's, no, they're so, so interesting. No, but we, we, I, so I, I started reading through your stuff and I was like, oh, this just, this is, this is so simple. It makes sense. It's perfect. Yep. It's perfect. It's, it's exactly. But it, ha it has to be simple. Don't you think? And I think that's what, like, if you if it's look gonna at, stick. right. It has to be sustainable. And if you look at the wellness industry, right. Yeah. It, it, it oh, I, li is, I live in Southern California. I'll tell you all right. about it. Exactly. <laughs> We're all doing this as, as part of our job <laughs> because of the wellness industry. Because those people are spending so much money. It's a multi-billion dollar industry. And I question, who are they saving? Who are they helping other than themselves? Yeah. Right. It's, it's like you go back to the, you know, let's go back to the 80s when all like, actually, historically, this fad diets, right? And it's like, mm -hmm. well, if you eat this, you eat the certain way. What is she way. talking about? Yeah. <laughs> you just lost me. Thanks. No Thanks. dieting. Elephant so in the room again. Right. But you look at any of these bad things and it's like, hey, just buy this product. You can yeah. it really quick. It's all about instant gratification and people are making a lot of money off that. Exactly. But you we know? get the same thing when we go in and yeah. we tell them training changes behaviors. 
And they go, how long? And we'd say, well, it's an accordion effect, depending on not everybody needs the same level of training, but these folks certainly do this and that and the other. And they look at you like you're off the planet Mars and they go, so we're paying for you to come in and teach us something we already know. Yeah, you're exactly right. And you need this because yeah. it's going to inform everything else. But if it's not ramming a car or booting a door, if it's not a laser plasma torch cutting or yeah. uh, b blowing up a live uh, you know, IED, then they don't want to listen to you and they adopt the wait and see attitude. I will caution everybody out there. If you wait and see, your human behavior will catch up with you and you'll be a sad, broke, angry human. No offense, Brian. Uh, and, and so the, I feel sooner nothing, you, so the sooner that you get into this process, the better you're going to be for it. And you don't have yeah. to spend a lot of money. Well, Michelle, we, we definitely appreciate you coming on. Um, this is an awesome conversation and we really like what we're doing. So for everyone listening, I'll put links to all your website and everything in the, in the details of the, the episodes. So you can just click, click right on there if you're listening along and check it out and we'll share your stuff and, and everything on social media. So unless you guys got anything else to add, I think that's kind of, I want to know, will you come back? Point to, did, did you have enough fun that you'd come back and talk to us on future episodes? Yeah, I think uh, we could have talked for hours on all I of these so topics. Too. Yeah, so we could. I was like, oh wait, I thought of something. No, well, the other well, thing is, if you the got other thing is, could you send something to Marin's room? Anything, anything in your beautiful office here? Could you send just so he has more adornments in the back? I know. I, I need to. This start. is my office at the school, so it has a lot of fun. I've got like you know the stress toys and the squishy. Yeah, doesn't matter great. what it is; it'll mean so much to him. All right, oh, I sent him an empty bread bag last week. He's still wearing it as a boot. <laughs> It I'm is. You. It is. I'm still. I still have to wear that. I've got. I just love it. Thank just, you. I felt. I felt so good 90 seconds ago, and then you just tear me right back keep, down. So keep, well, I, I, I can't just let this, you get it's ahead. Just, it's just this emotional roller coaster. Michelle, keep doing what you're doing. You're doing the right stuff, and we really appreciate your effort. And thanks for your you, service. You guys as well. Thank you. All right. Thank. Thanks a lot. That's all for today, folks. Thanks a lot for tuning in. Remember, you can follow us on Facebook at HBPRA. Check out our website at ArcadiaCognorati.com. Please, if you enjoyed the show, like it, share it, tell your friends about it. Let's get the word out there. And if there's something you want us to cover directly or curious about, go ahead and get a hold of us by email at leftofgreg at gmail.com. Thanks.